Hello and welcome to the Southside Church podcast. For more information about Southside Church located in Cape Town, South Africa, visit southsidechurch.co.za. We hope that you enjoy the message. Hello, so good to be with you. Today what I want to do is reflect on some of the revelations of 2019. As we land November and begin the first week of Advent next Sunday. Now the course of a year sees the passing of seasons. And when I thought about the seasons in a year, I reflected on a scripture that has been prominent in my personal life for 2019. It was Proverbs chapter 10 verse 5 from the Passion Translation. It says, Know the importance of the season you're in and a wise son you will be. But what a waste when an incompetent son sleeps through his day of opportunity. We're called wise when we live in the context of our spiritual seasons and not just the circumstances on the timeline of our human experience. We are called to see life in seasons beyond the situations that we look at. And this emphasizes the significance of living our lives out of revelation and not just information. 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 15 to 17 in God's word from the Old Testament documents a moment where the prophet Elisha and his servant are surrounded by the enemy. It says, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? the servant asked. In that moment, the servant looks at the situation he's in and he sees his destiny as one of defeat because of the enemy that he's looking at around him. But then the prophet Elisha says something strange. In verse 16, he says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The servant was looking and processing information while Elisha was seeing by revelation. And this is so important that Jesus said to his disciples in the New Testament in the Gospel of Mark chapter 8 verse 18, You have eyes, can't you see? He was saying to them, you're looking at life in your human experience, but not seeing in the spiritual. For Elisha and the servant, God didn't remove them from the limitations, from the situation they were in, but he exceeded the ability of that natural limitation and situation to contain them. They just needed to see in revelation beyond what they were looking at in the flesh. You see, my situation doesn't determine my destiny. My revelation does. For Elisha, his destiny was not death in the situation he faced. And he therefore didn't submit to defeat. And like Elisha, if we live by faith, we see what we believe instead of believing what we see. And sometimes we need to reflect and remember the revelations God has given us because we very often default from walking in the spirit back to walking in the flesh, from seeing in revelation through our lives back to looking at our situations in the flesh. And in Galatians chapter 3 verse 3, Paul writes to the church 
about this default in our humanity to go from focusing and living out of spirit to living in flesh when he says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Now, Jesus speaks in the context of our salvation in John chapter 3, verse 6 to 7 in the Bible. And he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Let's look at the kingdom principle in that statement. In my life, I will give birth to physical outcomes limited by the flesh if I only look and operate within the flesh. But if I see in the spirit and live out of spiritual revelation, I can give birth to things that transcend the lid of limitations in my humanity, just like Elisha did. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Our victory in Jesus isn't defined by life without obstacles, but our ability to overcome them through Christ. You see, an obstacle can either be the end of a dream or the beginning of a miracle. The well-known leadership speaker and author John Maxwell says, A miracle always starts with a problem. Throughout scripture, we see that every miracle always started with a problem. A boy once showed up in the Bible with a lunchbox of loaves and fish while in the presence of 5,000 hungry people. It was a problem, and it was probably also quite awkward. A tired fisherman called Peter once showed up in the Bible after fishing all night and having limited success, sitting back on the shoreline, feeling perhaps a little bit defeated. It was a problem. A man called Moses showed up with his staff while standing at the barrier of the Red Sea, being chased down by an enemy that had come to destroy him. It was a problem. There was a moment where a young shepherd boy showed up with limited experience and armor against a seasoned warrior and giant for the Philistines, and it seemed to be a problem. But when God was present in the face of the problem, in the midst of the valley, alongside the fearful, Those limitations and situations became the backdrop for God's miraculous work and abundance. And the lunchbox fed 5,000. The fisherman's boat was filled with so many fish it began to sink. The Red Sea was split as Moses raised his staff and the shepherd boy David defeated the giant Goliath. Do you see how when these people operated within God's spiritual kingdom revelation, Their obstacles became opportunities for the miraculous and they transcended the limitations of the flesh. Because in this world they faced trouble but they could take heart for through Christ they had overcome the world the same way you and I can. And this is why it's important for us to always remember the revelations God has given us. To go back in remembrance and not end up defaulting to simply walking in the flesh. The psalmist writes of this in Psalm 119 verse 15 when he says, I want to reflect on your guiding principles and study your ways. So let's reflect on some of the revelations God has given us this year. Now what I've done is I've looked at the most listened and downloaded messages from 2019 from Southside Church and I've selected to reflect on the revelation in those messages today. That means I'm going to attempt 
to take five different messages, select some of the key revelation out of those and share that with you today. My prayer is not that you will consume all the uh, revelation that is shared, but that one or two of the key revelations that come out of what I share could reframe some of the situations you've struggled with in 2019. So, the five most listened to messages that we've had on our podcasts this last year have been in order. Firstly, the podcast called The Search for Calling and Blessing. Second one has been the message called Look to See. The third one is the introduction to our series called Re-Engineering, The Art of Rising Strong. The fourth one is God in the Mundane Rhythms of the Workplace. And the fifth one that has been listened to the most is a message entitled Provision. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to those messages if you haven't heard them. But today we're going to take out small portions of revelation that come from those messages as we land 2019 and we begin the Advent season next week. So let's look firstly at the search for calling and blessing. We often obsess over the question, God, what is your call or will for my life? Or we have a God-sized dream and we wonder how we can achieve it while living in the mundane rhythms of everyday life. Now, there is both the general call or will of God, which we all share in, and then there is the particular will or call of God, which involves things specific to your personal life. And we tend to focus on our desire for his specific will for us, often overlooking his general will. But the first revelation today is that God's starting point for what you will do in his particular will is focused on who you are becoming in his general will. You see, although God's particular will for you involves what you will do, his general will, which we all share in based on what God's word says, is not so much to do something as to be something. And God's general will is that we should be transformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. In the book of Genesis, in the Old Testament, there was a documented period in the life of a man called Joseph, who was given a dream by God, a particular calling, in which he led all 11 of his brothers as an authority figure. His brothers despised his dream and decided to destroy him. He ended up spending a period of around 13 years between the dream and its fulfillment in places of suffering. He was sold as a slave and imprisoned after being falsely accused. But he sought the call of God when serving as a slave in the king's palace and placed in prison. In the palace he served with kingdom excellence. And while in prison he saw the opportunity to use his spiritual gift of interpretation to give godly knowledge to two other prisoners. He was being the light in a dark place, even when he wasn't getting to live out the specific purposes he felt God had called him to. He served others as Jesus called us to serve when he could have been obsessing over his struggles and the obstacles that seemed to keep him back from the dream that God had given him. But as long as he was living out the general call to be someone regardless of his circumstances, 
His dreams chased him until he eventually became the second most powerful man in Egypt, having his brothers bow down before him as a great leader. And as his dream was fulfilled, he said to his brothers as they bowed before him in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, You tried to harm me, but God made it turn out for the best. The revelation here is that when you're living out God's calling, you don't chase your dreams, your dreams chase you. I wonder how many moments of breakthrough into the life you desire are hinging on your willingness to become the light in your world at present. Because we tend to focus on our specific will in the future, overlooking God's general will in the present. God's blessing came to pass in Joseph's life, and he saw his dreams come true. We all want to experience God's blessing. And part of the heading of this message that has been listened to the most this year is the search for calling and blessing. When it comes to calling, we don't need to chase our call or our dreams. But when we're living out the general will of God in our present world, our dreams chase us. And then secondly, we seek the blessing of God. And we all want to experience God's blessing, but often our situations seem to steal our belief that God wants to bless us. The revelation here is that we can't build our belief in God on our blessings because our blessings are waiting on the other side of our belief. In Luke chapter 5 in the New Testament, there's a period where the fisherman Peter has been out all night fishing. We spoke a bit about it earlier and he had caught nothing. He was a seasoned fisherman. He knew the waters well, and it was his livelihood. That meant he would have felt very discouraged coming back to the shoreline in the morning, empty-handed after a lot of striving and struggling. In that context, Jesus then says to him, go and cast out your nets. His initial reply is, but Lord, we've been out all night and caught nothing. And then he says something interesting. Because regardless of the sense that there's no point in going back out, he says to Jesus, but because you say so, I will go and cast my nets. Tells us that Peter then went and cast his nets into the waters and caught so many fish that his nets began to tear with the abundance and overflow of God's blessing. Peter was blessed because he believed in Jesus' words that instructed him to go. In Luke chapter 1 verse 45, the angel of the Lord said to Mary, the mother of Jesus, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Your blessing is on the other side of your belief, but often we allow our belief to be determined by the degree of our blessing. Jesus said in John chapter 20 verse 29, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So, don't build your belief in who your God is on your blessings because your blessings are waiting on the other side of your belief. Speaking of God's blessing leads us into our next focus and that was a message on re-engineering the foundations of our lives. The revelation here is that God wants to bless your success by anchoring your achievements on the foundation of his truth. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 to 27 in the New Testament speaks about this when Jesus says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. 
But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So often, our focus and energy go into building a life of success while failing to ensure we have the foundation on which to sustain it. Therefore, the revelation question we need to ask ourselves is, will we embrace the unglamorous process of digging in order to build on bedrock or remain camping in the comfort of the sand? When we live on the foundation of God's kingdom principles, we rise strongly in the storms that limit others. We get to live lives that are shaped by principle rather than pressure. And Stephen R. Covey wrote in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The personal power that comes from principle-centered living is the power of a self-aware, knowledgeable, proactive individual, unrestricted by the attitudes, behaviors, and actions of others, or by many of the circumstances and environmental influences that limit other people. Here it speaks about the power of being self-aware, embracing knowledge, and being proactive. And you and I, if we will grab hold of this in the process of following Christ, choosing to leave the comfort of the sand to embrace the unglamorous process of digging toward bedrock, we will have the testimony of remaining steadfast and seeing God bless our success because it can be sustained. From speaking into the search for God's call and blessing to a life engineered on the foundation of His truth, we now look at God's provision. The book of 1 Kings chapter 17 in the Old Testament records a period in the history of Israel, God's people, where they had reached an all-time low in their devotion to God under the reign of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. They had introduced worship of the Phoenician god Baal. And so into this crisis situation, God calls Elijah as a prophet to be God's voice to his people, calling them back to him. Now Baal was worshipped as a weather god, so Elijah's first move was to proclaim to the king that there would be no rain or dew until he asked the true God to bring it. He was showing Ahab that Baal had no power over the weather, only the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob did. Now, after doing God's will by giving Ahab the prophecy, God told Elijah to leave and hide at the Kerith Brook near where it enters the Jordan River, because the Kerith Brook in the east was a place far away and hidden from King Ahab, who was possibly seeking Elijah's life because of the drought. Now, the area Elijah was told to go to was known as a wilderness place. A place without the abundance that was found in the promised land where Ahab was king. But sometimes God will lead you into the wilderness to protect you from the threats in the promised land. And that means the revelation here is that sometimes the wilderness is part of the process to the promise. In fact, God wasn't only protecting Elijah by sending him to the wilderness but would provide for him in the wilderness what he wouldn't be able to receive in the promised land. It tells us in verse 6 that Elijah ate bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Now the commentary on this gives us understanding when it says, to eat meat every day, to say nothing of twice a day, was not common fare for common people. Among them meat was reserved for special occasions, 
Kings, on the other hand, seem to have had meat daily on their table. Elijah ate like a king in the very place that seemed to oppose the abundance of the promised land. The revelation here is that God often prepares a table of provision in the place you least expect it. Psalm 23 verse 5 says, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. If God prepares provision for me in the presence of my enemies, maybe I need to focus less on why I find myself in this place and more on what God is preparing for me in the process. Verse 6 goes on and says that it was ravens that brought Elijah the bread and meat each morning and evening. Now the ravens were meat eaters themselves and would have likely eaten the rotting meat off carcasses. Yet they brought fresh meat to Elijah twice a day. They were also considered ceremonially unclean by the people of the time, so the idea of them being providers of meat that Elijah could eat would have been seemingly impossible. And the revelation here is that God will often provide for you in the most unlikely place through the most unlikely source. Up to this point, Elijah experienced God's provision in the most unlikely place through the most unlikely source. But then things got worse while in the wilderness. I don't know if you've ever had periods in your life, maybe even in 2019, where things started to look up. Things started to look like they were picking up. You know, there was the provision. It seemed, okay, cool. Maybe God's doing something. And there were levels of hope or we felt we were in a good place. And then suddenly out of nowhere, there was this unexpected phone call from the doctor or a bill we didn't expect or a deal that didn't go through or a family issue that seemed to come out of nowhere. And Elijah at this point suddenly had this experience from verse 7. He would have been celebrating the miraculous provision of meat and bread when suddenly in verse 7 it says, but after a while the brook dried up for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Suddenly, the brook that provided the water for Elijah dried up. Let's remember, though, that the reason there was no rain was because God was revealing his power over the idols Israel had been worshipping. So eventually, the brook would dry up as there was a drought. And Elijah's lack of provision of water here was directly linked to God's purposes. The revelation is that sometimes what is perceived as lack is actually part of God's plan in fulfillment of his purposes. A New Testament example of this kingdom principle can be found in the book of Acts chapter 3. We read the account of Peter and John engaging with a lame man and it tells us, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked up eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then, walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with him. 
In this case, the miraculous work of God required Peter lacked what the man wanted so God could give the man what he needed according to his purposes. The revelation is that sometimes what you assume to be lack of what you want is actually God giving you what you need. Elijah continued seeing God's provision even with the lack of water from the brook. And in the same way, through Christ, you and I will always have everything we need according to God's purposes. Even when it looks like we're surrounded by the enemy, the way Elisha and his servant were. Even in the moments where we are battered with the storms and the winds of our human experience. And even when we're in moments where it seems we're in a wilderness or we're lacking the provision we wanted. As I look through the revelations from these messages over the last year, the one thing that keeps coming to the forefront of my mind and heart is the power of surrendering to the sovereignty of God. How in every circumstance and situation that doesn't make sense, there is still a God who is sovereign. And so the greatest act of faith for you and I is not in striving, but in our surrender. It's in trusting the heart of God when you can't trace his hand. Earlier we read Psalm 119 verse 15, in which the psalmist writes, I want to reflect on your guiding principles and study your ways. To live reflecting on God's guiding principles and to study and walk in his ways is to live out of revelation. But God's ways aren't ours. Isaiah 55 verse 8, we see God say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. That means it's essential to surrender to his sovereignty when we don't understand. I don't know where this year you've struggled with circumstances and situations that haven't seemed to make sense. I don't know where you faced the wilderness, the enemy looking like soldiers surrounding you, the waves and the wind of circumstances that were unplanned. But I pray that as you surrender to God's sovereignty, you would see the chariots of fire protecting you in the midst of your enemy. You would experience the strength of being anchored on the foundation of God's truth in the midst of your storms. And you would see the provision of food by ravens in the wilderness. And that through all of these trials, you would be able to write your greatest testimonies. For as Jesus says to us, in this world you will have troubles. In 2019 there may have been many troubles, but take heart, for I have overcome the world.